Then, uh, one day, we were shooting an episode in season two entitled uh, Gordy's Birthday. And, um, boom. So one of the chimps that plays Gordy just, just hit his limit. And it was six minutes and 13 seconds of havoc. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen? It's a show where we talk about movies and specifically, we talk about a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis, and this is episode number 241. Our movie this week was 2022's Nope, directed by Jordan Peele, and here to talk with me about it, an old friend of mine I haven't talked to in quite some time from the world of reality television, it's Paul Botticelli. Paul, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on your show. Absolutely. You know, I have wanted to have you on the show kind of since I started it. You were one of those people. I'm like, man, I should get a hold of Paul. He would be awesome to sit and talk with because we used to talk movie stuff all the time when we were down in Orlando when you were doing film school. So it just was one of those things where I would think about it and then I would forget. And then I'd see your name pop up somewhere. I'd see, you know, something on Instagram and I'm like, I got to get a hold of him again. And then I'd forget. And it just kept this cycle going. And finally, I got around to it. And I'm so glad that I did. And then you said let's do nope and i just saw get out for the first time a couple of weeks ago so i'm on a big jordan peele kick right now it seems perfect to me um so this was my first time seeing it had you seen this before i had not um i was most familiar with him from his work with key and peel yeah and watching these older skits now that he's gone into um filmmaking uh, you can see the where the little horror movie roots started. Yeah, um, they did a little skit about um, Family Matters, which was pretty great. Um, right. I, I don't know if anybody's familiar with it. I'm sure you are, but in that in that um, skit, um, Key plays um, a producer on the show Family Matters. He's all coked up, um, and Peel plays um, Reggie. Uh, the main character, I, I don't recall the actor's name, but he plays the, the main character. And yeah. he's complaining that he's not getting enough screen time, that uh, Urkel's getting all the screen time. <laughs> and then <laughs> it, it takes a very, very dark turn yes. from there. It just straddles a line between horror and comedy. And you can see, okay, I can totally see how he segued right into horror movies. Uh, yeah. And it was interesting because when I watched Get Out, which was his first film, and I thought, wow, this is the, the guy from Key and Peele doing horror. And you're right. If you go back and look at some of those old sketches, you totally see where his love yeah. of like horror films comes from and that he slowly worked it in there. And like he can go down these dark paths. This was a pretty cool movie. Now, I didn't see it um, initially. It just sort of it looked interesting to me, but I just didn't have the chance to get out and see it. And so... Then it kind of went out of sight, out of mind. Um, yeah. But then I, I, yeah. And then I'd hear about it every so often, and I, and I'd hear about uh, Get Out. And so when the opportunity to watch Get Out came, I jumped on that. And that, if you haven't seen it, is fantastic. I love Get Out. It is so good. Um, so getting to watch this, I was excited because Daniel Kaluuya is in it, uh, who is fan. He's phenomenal in Get Out. He's amazing in this. 
Um, I love him in Across the Spider-Verse as Hobie Brown. His voice work in that is so cool. Uh, yeah. It's It was fun to see that movie because he got to use his natural accent. Um, and he sounds so different than when, if you've, if you've only ever seen him in like this or get out, it, it'll throw you for a loop at first, the way he sounds. Uh, it's normally, interesting but. that you mentioned that because as I was watching the movie last night, I could hear faint little traces of his actual British accent peeking mm-hmm. through. He does a great American accent. Don't get me wrong, but I could still hear a little bit of it when he's, um, I believe it was when he was on the stairs and he was having a conversation with his sister. Yeah. Played by Keith Palmer, who's fantastic in this movie. Oh, she's so good in um, this too. I mean, little, yeah. You can hear a little yeah. bitty pieces of his British accent poking through. Um, yeah, yeah, and and it, it pokes through a little bit too here and there and get out, um, but he does a pretty good job of hiding it. He yeah. does a good American accent. Uh, and he and Kiki Palmer just, they carry this movie. Like this movie doesn't work without the two of them, but I think what worked so well for me is the brother-sister uh, relationship Yeah, felt natural felt real like they felt like actual siblings they totally did like she's all high energy he's low key mm-hmm. so yeah it's, i've totally i've seen siblings exactly like that you know yeah and you didn't compliment yeah and you don't get the like the faked like hollywood siblings right it, it no. didn't feel like that they felt pretty pretty realistic to me um and they just had great chemistry on scene on screen yeah. um and I love subtle things they do with their characters too. Like the whole last sequence we'll kind of get to later on, but the whole final sequence, Daniel's character, whose name OJ for, uh, for Otis yeah. Jr. And he's wearing a bright orange shirt and mm-hmm. Kiki's Emerald is wearing green, mm-hmm. you know, not super subtle, but also like, it's kind of cool to have them do that. Um, and they're just, they're, they're so good in this. I think Daniel Kaluuya in this, the character of OJ I love because he's so laid back and seemingly so calm, even though you know he's freaked out all the time. And he has like natural reactions to things in a horror movie, which you don't normally see, right? Like horror movies, especially, they're almost always caricatures and they they make the dumb decisions. And he's just like, nope, not doing yes. that. Like, nope <laughs> is such a perfect title. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I was really fascinated just watching him. Mm-hmm. You know, just the way he looks at things and reacts, not in a crazy way, but just, you know, like low key, okay, processing it type of way. Yeah. Uh, contrasted with his sister, who is like, you know, <laughs> uh, much more high energy, uh, more intense than he is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. And, you know, just, like we know people that, you know, everybody knows somebody who's like that, who can process information and remain calm in these weird, like crazy situations. If you're, you know, you're in your car on ice and you, you slid, slide on a little bit of ice and somebody can remain calm while something like that's going on. Like, that's what I got from OJ. He's one of those that even though he's probably freaking out like crazy inside, he's yeah. able to, to keep it restrained, um, which was, and, and then he'll have some great moment. Like when he's in the truck, and he looks out and he sees the he sees the thing above him. So he just closes the door and he's like, nope. And then he sits there for a second. <laughs> and then he leans over and he locks the door. Yeah. Like that right there is like, 
No, I totally, that's a, that's a completely normal reaction to that. Even though it will do nothing, you still lock that door. <laughs> I loved that. Um, I like how uh, he dealt with that particular situation in that scene. He's just like, mm-hmm. well, you can go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm in this truck. <laughs> this is where I live now. Yeah. Um, Brandon Perea as Angel was also uh, a lot of fun. I started off hating him. Yeah, um, he was interesting. What was really interesting, <laughs> okay, um, we used to live in Burbank. Okay. So when I saw Fry's electric, electronic show yes. up, the Burbank <laughs> location with the UFO that crash landed, it's crash landed into the front of the store. That was, they, they themed all their stores. And the yep. Burbank theme was 50s sci-fi. So seeing that pop up after it's it's been closed for like three or four years now. Mm-hmm. So seeing that, I was like, all right, yes, that's that's awesome. I love that. <laughs> I thought that was a nice touch. And his character, when you first meet him, he's just he's your your kind of every retail worker, right? He's been broken by the retail system and he's just <laughs> how can I help you? Did you find everything you need? Like not even making eye contact with them, all of that. But by the end of the movie, I loved his character because he somehow managed to like fit in perfectly with OJ and Emerald. Yeah, it definitely and, felt like maybe like he could have been a, a cousin or an extended yeah. family member by that point in the yeah. story. Like just somehow he just like, and he went from even being, they didn't even want him there. And then he just sort of shows up and then he shows up yeah. the next day after like spying on their cameras because yeah. he was so interested <laughs> in it. And I'm thinking, oh, this might lead to something. And it doesn't really, but at the same time, he just sort of like integrates himself and it, it works and it makes for a really cool dynamic because he's sort of being that that kind of audience surrogate character of like he, because he gets to have the exposition moment about the UFOs uh, versus yeah. UAPs. And he has that great moment when the thing comes over the house and he grabs the kitchen knife. And he yeah. just goes up to he goes up to Emerald's like we're in trouble and immediately dives under the table, right under the table with the yeah. knife just shaking like yep nope that's exactly what I would do, um, <laughs> so he was he was a lot of fun. Uh, some of the other cast members Stephen Yoon uh, is Stephen Ricky Juke Park. Boy, is yeah. he good or what? Yeah, he is terrific. There uh, was a lot. Oh, go ahead. No, oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say there was a lot between especially between the characters of Ricky and OJ a lot of acting without dialogue going on a lot of very subtle things that they were doing like um just moments where they would they would deliver a line and you could see there was a lot more going on um than at the surface level like when ricky's telling the story about what happened with gordy and Mm -hmm. the chimp and that first time he's telling the story and he's telling it through the through the lens of like well, on SNL, they did the sketch, right? They did the parody sketch of it. And you can kind of see, like, that's sort of the only way he can really tell the story now so because of the trauma that happened to him. And then we get to yeah. we get to revisit it through his eyes later. And just that shot that transitions from the young version of Ricky to the current version of Ricky. And he's sitting there. He's got the microphone taped on already. Mm-hmm. And he, like, he's getting ready to do his presentation. And just the look on his face said so much without him having to say a word. Yeah. And audiences got a, a good taste of that when he was back on uh, walking dead. That's why he was. Oh, right. Know, one of my personal favorite characters on the show. 
you're just mm-hmm. able to project strength and vulnerability. Um, and you get a, a taste of that in this movie as well. Yeah. Um, and also it was really cool to see um, David Keith. Oh, uh, yes. Or the Keith David. Keith David. Keith David. Keith David. Yep. He wasn't in it for too long, unfortunately, but the screen time that he had, he was terrific. Um, also, who else? Um, well, the, the the thing with Keith David is he's got that voice that you instantly yeah. recognize his voice and his presence is great. So yeah, he's a few minutes of screen time. One of the most uh, one of the the visuals of this movie that will be burned into my brain though is the shot of him in the hospital bed. Oh God, yeah, because um, that was <laughs> oh, but just getting somebody like him and plus honestly the way with the um uh kind of costuming and then just daniel kaluuya looked enough like keith david that i'm like no i buy that they're father and son like there's enough there to to kind of link them together um and and then to have one quick like flashback memory of him later on where he gets to kind of basically lay out what's going on to the audience in a way yeah um i really like that keith david's great i do always make the joke of is it keith david or david keith i, and I have to tell people <laughs> i have to be like keith keith david is the voice of the gargoyles david yeah. keith was the dad in uh the daredevil movie with ben affleck and that's that's how i can tell them apart um, though i always remember him from officer and a gentleman for some reason and maybe oh, yeah first yep that would do it yeah. uh, i also love seeing michael wincott in this yes that's i Yes, I adore Michael Wincott. He's got another one with a incredibly uh, iconic voice. Oh God! Um, yeah. You know, it's but he, I like. I mean, going all the way back to Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. This guy is Ginsborn. Um, he was in fourteen ninety two, Conquest of Paradise. Like the he did a bunch of stuff. The Crow. He's I love him as Top Dollar in, in the Crow. Yeah. Um, I liked him in Alien Resurrection. Uh, most people don't like that movie i don't hate that movie but he's a lot of fun in it it. yeah (laughs) i mean it's Uh, of the first four alien movies it's probably the weakest or tied for the weakest with with three um it it has its problems but like he's not a problem in it he's great uh i I actually kind of like the fact that um his imdb photo is now his character poster from this movie (laughs) <laughs> that, oh. that sort of cracks me up, but he's <laughs> for, for such a short amount of time that he's in the movie, he's got some iconic moments. He's so, okay. Did you notice the parallels to jaws watching this? Because uh, I definitely got a lot of, I got a lot of Hitchcock feel to it uh, from yeah. it. And I also got a lot of jaws um, kind of feeling from it in some of its structuring. Um, and, and Michael Wincott's character of Antlers um, was Quint. He was the Quint oh, of yeah. this movie. Um, right down to getting like getting a little sing-songy moment with uh, the Purple People Eater, which yeah. I may or may not have captured. I might play later. Um, <laughs> but I, I got these like Jaws feelings from it, so it was cool to see him because as the movie went on, I thought, oh, he'll just have this. I saw his name in the main titles, but I wasn't sure how big of a character he would be. And the movie 
sort of ignored him for a stretch. And then we had, because he shows up at the beginning, then we get the second scene where she calls him up. Yep. Where Emerald calls him, which was, I love that scene. Um, and then I thought, okay, that's all we're going to get from him. Like, it's a cool little role for him to play. Uh, I like how so he for did him the, to... the movieola flatbed looking at um, nature B-roll. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Oh, I was like, the that's... tiger getting uh, constricted. I think the yeah. tiger wound up losing, actually, which is interesting. Yeah, and like the all the shots of the eyes yeah. um, and, and all of that. And like there was something with him because in the beginning when they're doing the commercial shoot and he's just he's checked out like he's there. Oh, yeah. He's not. He just doesn't care. And it's like, oh, yeah, no, I could see that working. And then and then for that scene and then when he's when they cut back to him seeing the uh, the news and hearing, you know, um, where it was in California and all that. And it it piqued his interest. I was like, ooh, he's coming back. He's going to do some more. So I, I dug that quite a bit. He was a fun character to have. Plus, he had that like old, you know, hand crank homemade cameras. Like cameras yeah, he made I, himself. You know what the model of that camera was? I'm, I have no I idea. Because um, he had two. He had that bigger one, and then right. he had the little handheld, like sixteen millimeter, uh, that he was right. The, the on. one that the um, the uh, Fry's electronic guy wound up taking. Yeah. Um. I. It didn't. I looked over like trivia and stuff. I didn't see anything mentioning. And usually. Uh, internet sleuths are pretty quick at like telling you what models of things are. So I didn't find anything, but um, that was a cool, and it was cool because uh, you know, obviously with the way that the, the thing um, messes with electronics to have something with no electricity needed uh, is perfect. Yeah. Also, it's kind of interesting that uh, this was Jordan Peele's first film he did on film. His first movie he, he shot not digitally. Um, oh, was Get Out shot uh, on digital? Apparently, yeah. Because um, I, I read that this was the first one was he shot on film, and he shot some of it with IMAX and IMAX. Uh, a good amount of it with 70 millimeter. Um, I actually... Big dividends in the look of the thing because the cinematography is terrific. Oh, yeah. We're going to get to that because I have some, some things to say there. Um, one other cast member I just wanted to mention real quick was the in the beginning of it, the, the like set uh, I don't know if he was the the AD or the um, who he was uh, running around the commercial set was Eddie Jemison, um, who I love from the Oceans trilogy. He was oh. Linus in those, and okay. I heard his voice and I immediately was like, "Oh, I know that guy." And he like, <laughs> that's all I can think of him from is the Oceans uh, eleven, twelve, and thirteen. But I loved him so much in that as that like high strung tech guy. Uh, so it was fun to see him in here. Um. So cinematography, you mentioned how cool it was. Um, they did a lot of day for night. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah. But I read that. Um, and who was the cinematographer? They had his name. because that was Christopher Nolan's DP. Is it? I know it was a cool oh. name. Like, it was a name that, that just, I was like, this is the coolest name I've ever seen. Hoyt Van Hoytema. Yes. Uh did the cinematography and he developed a new way to do day for night using two cameras uh -huh. um, and removing he, uh, what was it? I read something about, he took the, um, 
he took the IR filter off of one of the cameras mm-hmm. and it allowed, uh, cause, and they knew they were going to re- replace the skies anyway. So it really didn't matter. They just wanted a lot of really good detail, uh, in the shots that they could use day for night. Right. And it works because it looks so good. All those night shots with, uh, yeah, with OJ and the horses and everything just looked amazing. I'm curious as, as, um, since they're out in the, it's not necessarily the desert, mm-hmm. but there's, it's an arid countryside and you know, the, the moon has a pretty clear view. Yeah. And I would guess a lot of that ambient light would, would cause, I don't know, noise, not noise pollution, uh, light pollution. Yeah. So it would look like the way it looked in the movie. I mean, I bought it. It looked good enough to me. Mm-hmm. Well, it was cool too, because they were doing a very stylized look to everything anyway. So yeah. it fit. And he was, um, he did, oh, what was the other thing I read that he, he worked on? Um, okay. He has, yeah, he is the guy working with, uh, Nolan now for like tenant mm-hmm. interstellar Dunkirk. Okay. Um, at Astra, that was another one where he did some day for night, uh, work. Um, okay. The guy's good. I mean, he he knows his stuff. And uh, Oppenheimer, he worked on. So yeah, he's kind of Nolan's sort of replaced. Was it Wally Pfister did a lot of uh, yes Nolan's earlier work. He left to go uh, direct that wonderful movie with Johnny Depp. I don't remember the name of it. <laughs> oh, was that the? Uh, oh yes, I know which one you're talking about. The transmission. Transmission. Transcendent transcendence, yeah, something like that. Yeah, terribly. Didn't, uh, yeah, <laughs> well, you know, sometimes people want to branch out and it uh, doesn't always work. I mean, they can't all be Michael Giacchino going on and doing uh, Werewolf by Night. That I was know, amazing. Right? Um, but yeah, like just the, the look of everything and the way they used uh, the day for night, the way they would, um, uh, some of the sky work, like the cloud mm. where jean jacket, because the, the alien thing is they name it jean jacket. And uh, the the cloud in the background, when I was going back through, after watching it the first time, I went back through to just kind of skim over it again, maybe find any cool audio yeah. clips to, to get. And I noticed the cloud the second time. I'm like, that's really good. Uh, I only had uh, time to watch this once, but I knew it was like, this is something that has a lot of rewatchability. So mm-hmm. you have to watch it multiple times just to pick up some of the things that you missed the first go around. At least for me, I'm a pretty thick viewer. The first time I view a movie, I'm just like, just watching it. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And I need another viewing or two to pick up on the stuff that I missed the first go around. But yeah, the, the cloud I- was, Yeah. And I think that's the way that that's the best way to watch a movie. Just take it in for what it is the first time. See, see what happens. Uh, I find, honestly, I find myself enjoying movies a lot more because I do that. I don't try to make it something else. I just try to be like, all right, what do you got for me? Come on, give it to me. And then we'll talk afterwards. And, uh, (laughs) and it usually goes pretty well. Um, It's, it's pretty like, this will be the 242nd movie I've done for this particular podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, of those, I can count on one hand the number of them I don't really want to watch again. Oh. Um, 
I'm uh, curious. One of those was, uh, so M. Night Shyamalan's The Last Airbender. Um, <laughs> I was just bored to tears and I loved the, what I have seen of the cartoon series, I loved so much. And that mm. movie just felt like a wet fart. Um, <laughs> the other one, and I might give this one a chance, but it was sort of a similar thing was uh, I just could not get into Miami Vice with Colin Farrell. Uh, yeah, and it's so radically different from the show. I, I think uh, I appreciate that Michael Mann was like, no, that's the show. This is the movie. Miami has changed since we did the show. So mm-hmm. this is going to be different. But when you're making a movie of Miami Vice, I'm sorry, there's certain preconceived ideas yeah. of what it's going to look and sound like. So when you gave when you gave the audience that radically different take on the material, they were just like, what is this? And so, if it hadn't been called Miami Vice, if they hadn't been named Crockett and Tubbs, I could have gotten yeah. into it, I think, a little bit more. But I think my comment in when I first saw it was like, this, it felt like a movie made by somebody who hated the show Miami Vice. I'm like, but it was Michael Mann. He yeah. was responsible for both. Like, how does this happen? But, you know, you, you make decisions. It was just one of those. I just couldn't get into it. Um, yeah, I, I watched like the first uh, couple minutes of it. I was like, nah, sorry. I got bored is what happened. Yeah. Like, I just I just got bored with it. Um, but that, that's kind of it. Like most of the movies that I've seen for this show, especially the stuff I've seen for the first time, mm-hmm. I've been so pleasantly surprised by uh, either because I sort of had an idea that it was, you know, it was talked up a lot or I've had some people um, bring me some, some real like diamonds in the rough. There was uh, there was a movie I saw a Japanese film called uh, fish story that oh. um, I could tell you what the plot is of the movie and it will make zero sense and it will not help you at all in seeing it. Uh, but it's oh, amazing. Excellent. <laughs> um, basically it's a, it's a it, so it jumps through time and it tells mm-hmm. some, uh, some separate stories that are all loosely linked together by this punk band in 1975 in Japan that okay. write a song and that song eventually saves the world from a comet. Nice. <laughs> How you'll have to watch the movie and figure it out. But it was like okay. that movie ended and I was just like, more people need to see this. This is amazing. And it, you can't really find it anywhere, unfortunately, but I, I might, I might have a way uh, that you could see it. And it's, it's really good. Plus it's got one of the most like punk rock moments uh, ever. Like just the, the spirit of punk rock. I love that movie. Um, I saw, I finally saw like Amelie was one that I was just blown. I'm like, this is great. And then I found out that the director of Amelie directed yeah. Alien Resurrection. And right, yeah. <laughs> my brain folded in on itself for a minute because I'm like, this, th- these two things don't match. Well, um, had, had you seen City of Lost Children? I had not before seeing Amelie, but that's also... I, what I found is that I'm a big fan of Jean-Pierre Jeunet, yeah. is what I found out. Um, it just, I didn't know it until uh, my friend Amy kind of forced me she's like you're going to watch amelie because it is my favorite movie ever and i will make you watch it and she was right it was it was amazing so it's, it's just it's so much fun to watch and like take just taking a movie for what it is that's i think one of the yeah. things that there's a lot of discourse especially discourse online about movies of and and look do what you want like what you like don't like what you don't like but there's times where I feel like people make that into a personality of like, I don't like this thing. You know, I don't like the MCU. Well, there's nothing really wrong with the MCU. It's just, it is what it is. 
could yeah. it, could they do some things better? There are things they could do better. Yes, but it's a at book the same time, <laughs> yeah. At at the same time, like what they're putting out is still decent entertainment, right? Mm. There's nothing like inherently unwatchable about an MCU film. Like, no. I have seen truly unwatchable things, and uh, and that ain't it. Um, I have seen seen movies that look like they were shot for uh, you know a slab of beer and uh, like just no money whatsoever and no no idea of what story they were trying to tell. That's unwatchable. Yeah. Um, not liking something is completely different. But the thing that I have found is that it, taking a movie on its merits versus trying to force it into something makes a big difference. The expectations we bring in, like, nope, did fairly well at the box office. It was yeah. pretty well received. Not quite. I don't think it's quite as good as Get Out. I think Get Out is a is a little bit better of a overall movie. I think the technical aspects of Nope, you can see how much in the span of seven years, how much Jordan Peele grew, has grown as a filmmaker. Um, yeah, I I would say I would actually add to that in that um, he directed a lot of the Key and Peele um, skits. Um, and you can see they're like like little movies, like the mm -hmm. production value on the Key and Peele um, skits, like the one with Jesus and Mary's Pimp. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. The, the cinematography and the production design, just in those little um, eight, nine, ten minute long skits, just look amazing. So he had all that as like training ground. So, yeah, you know. That's true. Um, it's just, it's great to see somebody, you know, grow like that. Yeah. And then you also can see his influences. Um, and I appreciate that because one thing I really appreciated is, you know, as I, as I was getting through this movie, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm seeing some parallels with Jaws. I'm seeing some parallels with Close Encounters of the Third Kind. You can tell oh, he liked Spielberg. You can tell like his love of horror movies and the way he works stuff in, I feel like is very deft. He has a very deft hand in his yeah. um, homages to things. I love um, the Scorpion King crew jacket. <laughs> that, was, that was so good. And I love that moment with OJ and Emerald where she's, she's remembering the story as the horse got sold to a production for a Western. And he's like, nah, nah, it was a Scorpion King. It wasn't a Western. Like, <laughs> it's, it's worse than you think, sis. <laughs> like, and just how bad it was on that. That was that was great. Um, yeah. I love how uh, OJ is, he's like, he's still got an old flip phone, a newer mm -hmm. version of one, but it's an old flip phone. And just the way, like his look and the way he uh, carried himself and the way he moved felt like he really got into that character. And I, I guess also he had a, pretty bad horse riding accident a few years before this movie and supposedly had to work through a little bit of that to get back on a horse. And oh, I, I never, I would never have known that cause he looked so natural on the horse. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's great to see, you know, it, it's, it's a whole lot of fun to see filmmakers get to do the project that they want and then be able to take the movie on its merits. Like, there were all sorts of theories about what's Nope about because the the marketing campaigns, um, kind of so, 
Yeah, well, they didn't let anything out. Um, yeah. But the the trailers gave you kind of directions to go in, and it was really kind of fun. I'm not big on um, like fan theories myself mm-hmm. uh, because I think most of the time it's like, okay, it's kind of fun, but like you don't really know. And when it's and and fan theories tend to go way further, right? They'll take yeah. like I remember when Cloverfield. Oh, just before Cloverfield <laughs> came out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was yeah. insanity. Just oh, all the theories was... and it's oh my God. But yeah. And and there were a ton of them for this too. Yeah. Um, which, you know, they're fun, but then you see the movie and it's like, okay, none of that was true. Um mm-hmm. but and and two, Jordan Peele does this great job of layering in kind of his commentary within mm-hmm. the structure of the film. In this case, it was a lot about spectacle and how addicted to spectacle we are as just a society and i i kind of felt that because like we are there's a lot of that that goes on like what happened with ricky jupe um was a spectacle and he's never gonna outrun like he's never gonna outrun that now this guy this guy is tied to that forever for being on that show and the trauma that that caused him and so it makes him feel like he is somehow invincible. I like how uh, Jordan Peele had him externalize that in a sense where he had that mm-hmm. closed off paid tour wing of all the um, memorabilia yeah. from that show. He said, I normally charge for this. And he opens the door to like a little secret office. It's just mm-hmm. all that stuff. Yeah. Where he's like, okay. And then is there even that moment where when he's doing his presentation uh, in front of the little crowd, which I love that the first time we're going into his office, his wife is on the phone and she's telling the person on the phone, yeah, we're, we managed to squeeze out a couple more press passes. And then later on when that scene takes place, there's like a quarter of the stands full. Um, <laughs> but even in that, that moment where he starts to tell the story and he turns around and he has to hype himself up for a second and he's, you barely hear him say, but he's like, you're chosen. Like he, he honestly believes him surviving unscathed, that whole thing with Gordy, the chimp, um, that, that somehow, and, and there's the whole thing with the shoe in the background that was standing straight up. Um, and it gives him this kind of feeling of invulnerability. And so when he discovered what this jean jacket, this, this thing, it made him think that he could somehow have some form of control in that situation when he clearly didn't um, no and had no idea. So uh, I thought that was a very interesting way to do that because he it's, it's the, his way of dealing with his trauma um, and it, it didn't, didn't work out so well um, at all. Uh, yeah, it's Stephen Nguyen uh, just again yeah. showing that vulner- vulnerability like he did on Walking Dead just instantly mm-hmm. endears Oh yeah, talent as an actor, and then he has that very, very subtle, almost smile right before it cuts away from him when he's looking up, mm-hmm. and there's just a touch of a smile right at the end, almost like a relief. Like, okay, <laughs> I don't have to deal with this stuff anymore. Like, it's over. Um, which then cuts to just that awful, awful scene where all those people from that are getting sucked into the alien and. At this point, you don't really know what it is yet. You still kind of think it's a ship. Right. Um, and it turns out to not be a ship. And then you realize they're being 
digested and it's terrible. Yeah, that was, that was very interesting. I One of the things I really loved about this movie, I watched it on headphones, was mm. the sound design. Yes. The sound oh. design was something else. It was really off the charts. I'm like, wow. He put a lot of time and attention into the sound design. Uh, when they have sounds come in, come out, cut off. Um, I don't know what kind of microphones they use, but the interior of the ship, I guess we can call it the esophagus of the ship, um, yeah. when it's all being pushed up. Um, it, was, it sounded real, you know, like you're definitely in there with them. It's, it's muffled and it mm-hmm. hasn't been so long. Um, yeah, it was the oh, the sound design, the way they would layer sounds together. Yeah. And they would find sounds that would layer with the right frequencies, so parts of it would kind of overlap and almost cancel out. Yeah. And so you weren't quite sure. Like it was it was disconcerting because the screams, like early on, before you get to see the creature jean jacket at all, and it's just like a shot, they they hear the sounds of screaming from overhead. Mm-hmm. Um, and they out of context, it could sound like somebody screaming because they're riding like a roller coaster mm-hmm. or they're getting brutally, uh, you know, um, digested by a giant alien creature. And you couldn't really tell which one it was, right? It's it's so ambiguous in the way yeah. the sound was that it's even more unsettling. And then to find out the context of it after the fact um, really it's hits more home. more unsettling too. once you know, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I between the the day for night, especially the day for night cinematography, but also like those wide shots, those big wide shots of the valley. Lots of great vistas in the valley. Yeah, I've been yeah. to that um, that stuff. I lived out in California for twelve years. I was like, uh, yeah, I know exactly where that is. I know the exact environment. Um, love the horse farm. Now, yeah. Each horse has its own nickname. Ghost. Ghost was a great yep. animal actor. Um, all the horses. Um, I loved how Lucky was the only, because um, all of the title cards that would pop up, like those, mm-hmm. they were almost like chapters, were yeah. different. Uh, there was Ghost and another another one of the horses, but Lucky was the only one that survived. I thought that was kind of cool that Lucky would be the the one to survive. I think Lucky had the mask. Was it covering his eyes? Uh, the, yeah, the- he kind of. Not looking a predator in the eyes. They made a big thing of that. Yeah. Yeah. He put it like a, almost like blinders on. It was like, a, yeah. you're right, a mask, um, which I thought was awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. I loved the the realization that OJ has that, oh, mm-hmm. it's an animal. Oh, you can't look like a great scene. Look. Yeah. So good. As he's sitting on the horse and he's like hunching down and, and making himself, you know, I'm not going to look at you and. Um, than to explain that to everyone else. But at the same time, how difficult would that be not to sit there and stare <laughs> at that thing, right? Like, and I also loved, me. yeah, and I loved the design of Jean Jacket because it starts off looking mostly like a flying saucer mm-hmm. and, you know, just slightly off, like not perfectly sphere or perfectly round, but there's, when they have the shot that it comes down low over when Lucky is in that enclosure Mm -hmm. um, and 
the creature comes down and then kind of fans out almost like a like a stingray because it kind of yes, reminded me a little bit of a uh, uh of like a marine creature but there's a ripple um yeah it was like, from the yeah, yeah. Uh, exactly it was like stingray like a mylar balloon kind yeah. of effect with the ripple of the skin and um, that was the i noticed that and i'm like oh that's kind of cool looking so then when it does the whole thing in the at the finale when it starts unfurling and it's making itself look out. all yeah. Yeah, I was like, oh, that's a that was a cool kind of foreshadow to that. It's not metallic. It's not a solid structure like yeah. we originally kind of thought it was. Um, it was almost like, uh, oh, man, I'm trying to think the type of fish. It, was, it had some jellyfish-like qualities to it and sort of. Yeah, uh, definitely undersea creature. Um, just the way it completely unfurled out and you're like trying to comprehend like, wow, what, what is, what am I looking at? This is the normal... Um, predatory creature look yeah which is the, part uh, of jordan peele's subverting expectations yep. that he loves to do the uh the square eye that almost looks like uh like the uh map box around a camera lens yeah it was, was kind of cool idea. um i guess too some of the inspiration for that creature's design was from neon genesis evangelion the angels in that um, i haven't seen that which I have not seen, so I don't know. Uh, but if they look like that, that's pretty pretty cool looking. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I really dug like I dug the idea of subverting subverting the trope of like it's still aliens, but instead of it being an alien ship and little little aliens, which they do play too at one point, you know, mm -hmm. brilliant scene. Um, to then have it be no, it's a singular creature, and it's not. When when uh, when Angel is telling OJ like about UAPs and like there's three reasons that they would show up right they're either here to help us or the the three theories they're yeah. aliens here to help us they're humans from the distant future coming back to stop us from wrecking the planet or they're mm -hmm. trying to take us over and it's yeah. like it's none of those it's literally just an animal that wants territory and wants food um, and I thought that was really that was a great subversion of of what was going on. Yeah, I really like that whole scene where he's giving them the rules. You enter into an agreement with a predator. I like really love oh, that. Oh yeah, that was a good one. Yeah. Um, the the scene in the barn might be my favorite scene in the movie when mm -hmm. he goes out there to look because it is exactly the scene you're expecting when he gets up and walks out to that barn. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't end the way you're expecting it to end. And it so perfectly subverts the ideas that are going on in it while maintaining and keeping the plot exactly where it was going to go the whole time. Um, and it's so well done because it's so it, it allows itself to breathe and take its time. And it doesn't feel like it's moving us away. It, it moving us away from the plot. It doesn't feel like it's shoehorned in or no. hurts the pacing of the movie at all either. Um, and honestly, those kids got off light. Only one of them got punched. <laughs> but it was I so, like, I, I could imagine that. being in the theater, seeing this, and all the people in the theater just being nope, nope, like, yeah. as that whole scene is unfolding. <laughs> yeah, that definitely had the, the, the aliens that the kids are playing. Um, mm -hmm. Definitely reminded me of the aliens from close encounters as you had mentioned yeah or 
was like, that's totally what the, <laughs> the aliens look like. And they were all played by little kids in masks. So yeah. Like, and winking a nod to that. Plus just like the, the creepy way when he goes down and he shuts the light off, the light and the sprinkler off mm-hmm. and he starts walking away. And when he thinks he hears something and turns around, you don't see anything at first. And yeah. it's that really slow reveal of the one standing up. I, I really like Because yeah. I'm watching it thinking, wait, is there something there? I can't, I couldn't tell for the first like 10 seconds. Yeah. And I'm like, oh no, no, there is, oh no, the aliens <laughs> have shown up. Like what's going to happen now? And then you get the other head that pops out of one of the horse stalls. And they, they were doing the whole like wearing a, a gorilla costume with just a mask. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is great. And those masks, the alien mask almost reminded me of later on when we get the flashback to the Gordy's house stuff with the chimp, mm-hmm. there's a, a sh- part of the tracking shot coming in, goes around a corner and you see like the Panaflex cameras and the, the, uh, the film canisters on top of the Panaflex cameras kind of had the look of like those alien masks that they were wearing. Like that kind also of big the, wide and then little dots in there. Also in that scene, you could, I think they were, you could see like little gloves on the floor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like little hair. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was good. I, I dug the hell out of that scene though, that whole thing in the, and again, OJ has the perfect reaction to it. When he sees something moving, he's just like, Mm-mm, nope, I'm out. And he starts <laughs> to walk away and then stops himself. Like, no, I should probably try to get a video of this but I'm going to do it from a ways back and around a corner. Uh, <laughs> and then he just clocks that kid. Yeah. I'm like, oh, man. Um, and the Gordy scene, too, the Gordy's house scene was another one where, and there was a lot of, like, one-shot tracks in this. Mm-hmm. Um, in Throughout the movie, there's a few of them that I didn't notice the first time, like, it just flowed with the movie. So I wasn't even thinking about when they go to fries, um, mm-hmm. that whole shot of them walking with the cart is all one take. And I didn't think about it until I was watching it again the second time. And I'm like, Oh, they haven't cut. Like they, they go from them walking all the way up to the counter in a single take. And it's just, it's really well done. And then there's the whole Gordy's house and it's the one take coming in and moving around. And, um, I loved that. There was a couple of them with the either riding the horse or riding the motorcycle at the end um, where they would do that too. Or uh, uh, OJ, when he goes to um, the Jupiter ranch to get lucky back Mm -hmm. uh, his whole entrance into that all the way through as a one shot. Um, There's just a lot of those and they were really, really well done. But, but I really liked that one coming into Gordy's house set because we've already been told the story of what happened. Yeah. And so you're kind of set up for like, Ooh, this is going to be, this isn't going to be good. And it's, it's the terror of not knowing exactly what you're going to see when you come around the corner Mm -hmm. and like the, the emptiness and the quiet, the sound, like you mentioned sound design, how good it was. Oh yeah. And the sound design in that scene the lack of sound in certain parts and the sounds you do hear and how, how awful they, they are. And because you don't see it makes your brain fill in the blanks and just makes it even worse. 
because you're like, oh man, what is what is that chimp doing to you know whoever? Like, yikes! Yes, the when she was uh, the lady was laying down and he's laying into her. You don't see it. It sounds like either he's chewing off her face or he's tearing her esophagus esophagus out. You don't know at the time. You don't see it, but yeah. Um, let's see. It's, it's it's the best way to do it sometimes is to not show it and just use like a little sound effect. It really is. I, I'm, I talked about this with, um, uh, recently on another show I'm on, we talked about Halloween three season of the witch. Mm-hmm. Love that and movie. there's, I do too. And there's a kill in that where, um, one of the Android things goes to the like coroner's assistant, um, yes. in the lab and you see him reach over and pick up the power drill. Yes. And the shot has her, he knocks her down and he like gets on top of her and you know what's happening. He's using the drill on her, but you all you see is from behind of him and her legs struggling. Yeah. And then like his arm come down. You never see the drill impact. You never, it, it doesn't change from that. It's so much more, I think, terrifying and visceral to only have the sound and that image because your brain just immediately creates the image of just how awful what just happened to this woman is. So I'm with you on that. Like a lot of times less is more. There are times where you want to see the, the effects. Yeah. You want to see, you know, you want to see what Tom Savini came up with for this movie or whatever, whatever thing it is. But, um, but man, some, sometimes just having it like obscured like that, like when in, when Gordy, the, the chimp, uh, chases down the guy who for some yeah. reason comes back on the set thinking he's going to, I don't know what he was thinking. Um, talk him out of it. <laughs> yeah. And, but he chases him into the other room. And so all you get is the door swinging yeah. and you just catch just some movement of the chimp in the other room, like slamming down, but it's through a table and like a chair and part of the table. And the doors revolving from the motion. Yeah. And yeah. it's all from um, the point of view under the table of the kid. Yeah. So it so, all felt more uh, real that way. It did. It felt more real and it felt more traumatizing. Uh, yeah. And I love that. Like I, I want, cause I want my, my movies to the worst thing a movie can be is boring. And mm-hmm. this definitely does not have that problem because it's making you feel things too. Like um, that's what I want in my movies. That's why I think as I've gotten older, I've started appreciating things like David Lynch that I ne- probably didn't, I just wouldn't have, not so even not not even so much understood, but just like connected to something like Mulholland Drive twenty years ago. But when I saw it earlier this year, and I was like, "This is one of the greatest things I've ever seen," because it made me it made me feel things and it made me think about things, and I love that. So uh, this was definitely there were moments in this that had a similar effect uh, with the way like it just. You know, it puts stuff out there and it makes you feel something and it's and and it's open to interpretation as well. Um, totally. I, I enjoy that. Um I was trying to think of some notes I had. Oh <laughs> I so that when the TMZ guy rides up. Mm-hmm. I love just this out helmet. of nowhere. <laughs> yes, his helmet was great. Um Remind but me when of he goes something, I don't know. It was all silver with like one eye hole. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely a paparazzi helmet. Like mm-hmm. got to have it clear so you can, you can see that camera. Um, but uh, when he takes off 
And I just love that line. It's like, what's going to happen when an electric motorcycle going 60 miles an hour hits an anti-electric field going in the other direction? And then yeah. they do it in a wide shot. Right. And and it, it was a wide shot. And then the sound when he gets launched off the bike, that yelp that he made yeah. killed me. I could I cackled when <laughs> yeah. that happened. It was so perfectly, like the timing of it was perfect. And because they go out to the wide shot and I'm like, oh, cool. They're going to do it in a wide shot. And then you just hear this ah! as he falls off the bike and it, it just wrecked me. It was so good. Um, <laughs> but I love doing that in a wide shot. I, I yeah. like that. Um, it actually sold it more doing it that way. Yeah. Than if had I done so. it like a Michael Bay kind of crazy action. Yeah. Piece. Well, especially like if you try to do it up close and cover it, you're going to end up with, you know, 13 cuts for the four seconds he's in the air and it wouldn't <laughs> yeah. have, I wouldn't have been able like that would have just been awful um there was sound design and then also the music I thought was really interesting in this movie too the music was um, definitely interesting uh it seemed to be I don't know each piece of music seemed to be its own thing it, it fit the movie but yep. it seemed like different styles that were mm-hmm. used the movie i was like oh that's that's interesting it Uh, leaned heavily into being like the western influence of things um and there were times where the music would lean more into that too uh definitely spaghetti western themes there was more like um i don't know was it atonal where it's just Mm -hmm. yeah there's like a traditional um action suspense type music Mm -hmm. uh I, I noticed that that was, that was like very interesting how he employed slightly different styles of music throughout the film. Yeah. I, I, there was one moment where it was like this kind of triumphant music happening as she's riding in back into uh, um, the amusement park or the theme park yeah. on the motorcycle. And like the music almost felt discordant because it felt like it was too, upbeat and triumphant but then and at first i'm like oh i'm not sure it's a, and and by the time she did the akira slide with the motorcycle i was like nope mm-hmm. it's perfect i loved it <laughs> which i think for single shots that might be the my favorite one is just that akira slide on that electric motorcycle with with that kiki cool, yeah i love the production design of i was like of the uh park it's like that's yeah it's not disney but it's disney it was great yes oh it was so good um yeah this movie just it really i was worried at some point like when it started i'm like okay no i get what i'm i'm at here and then when it started to drift from what i initially thought i was watching in tone i thought i i was worried for a short period like half a scene that oh this might feel a little disjointed but mm-hmm. it really brought itself around and it kind of came back um, for me. And it was, it was that overarching theme of spectacle and everything was this big production. They were, you know, Kiki um, Emerald is, is all talk and flash at the beginning. And mm-hmm. she gets into this for the spectacle of it and making some money. And it doesn't end up being that way for her. And like Angel kind of gets involved because of the spectacle of ufos and the spectacle of 
of all of that. And by the end of it, that's not why he's there anymore. Really. Like he's got, he's the one that brings up the idea that what they're doing is going to help people and maybe save some people. Yeah. Um, and like antlers gets involved because of this idea of the impossible shot. And he's the one of the four of them that doesn't survive it because he goes all for the spectacle. Like his oh, yeah. addiction to that is enough that he can't not just go stand and like his line about uh the dream the impossible dream where you're standing on the mountainside with all eyes looking at you and then that's how he ends up dying is standing on a mountainside with everyone looking at him um i love how it maintained his point of view through the camera lens as he gets sucked up yes oh it was i i just i loved all that like ricky um and the spectacle of what happened to him as a kid because like it started even before the Gordy's house stuff. He was in a movie and became this big time child star. And then he goes on to a sitcom. And then this thing happens on the sitcom that that's now what everybody remembers about that show. Yeah. And he kind of embraces the spectacle of all of that and, and finds out, Oh, I've got this thing and I can feed it horses and it'll, you know, like I can tame it. I can do what I want. And then you find out, no, you can't tame a predator. Like, Nope. As OJ says, you got to make a deal with it. Yeah. Um, and just all that, like even the spectacle of the opening where uh, when uh, Otis Sr. dies, it's this big thing that happens and we don't see it. Right. All we hear, we hear things hitting the ground. Yeah. And then you find out that like it was a nickel. I think it was a that quarter. killed him. Or was it a quarter? It was it was a coin. Like and uh, OJ keeps it in an evidence bag nailed to his wall. Yeah. I thought that was a nice touch. <laughs> yeah, a biohazard bag at that. Uh, <laughs> I, I did enjoy that. That was that was a nice nice thing. Um, and, and but the like key, the key that stuck into Ghost's hindquarter was a nice yep. touch. Um, and but the fact that like we saw we saw Otis Senior sitting on Ghost. Mm-hmm. And then the camera pans away and then it pans back and he's still sitting on him, but now he's just slightly slumped forward. Yeah. And you're like, Ooh, you, you know, oh, he's already, yeah. yeah. Like, Hey, that ain't right. Like things have gone bad and just, just all of it. Like I, I do think the story of get out is a little bit better than this one, but man, mm-hmm. this is a good movie. Like this is worth seeing. Yeah. I wish I could have seen it in retrospect. I wish I could have seen it on the big screen, but um... same. Yeah, yeah, I think some of that uh, just just for the I mean, just to appreciate some of that cinematography, because we have a it's not a like super big IMAX, but we have an IMAX screen in town. And mm-hmm. I wish I had gone and seen it on that because that would have been great. Um, but, you know, I got to see it at home and and it's still phenomenal. It's one that I'll recommend to people for sure. Um, I think, too, because it kind of leans more towards your again, like Jaws in terms of horror films, um, it's that type of movie. So it's, a, I think, a little bit more accessible too, um, you know, for your non-horror fans. Uh, this is a, a horror movie you can trick them into watching. <laughs> so, so that's a lot of fun. I did capture a couple of pieces of audio because uh, it wasn't like a hugely, it wasn't a quippy, quotable movie but there were just some moments that you can't not have like OJ has 
a couple of great lines. One of them is the bad miracle thing, which right. I think was in trailers. I'm not sure, but it's it's a gorgeous shot of of OJ and Emerald sitting on that uh, sitting out leaning on the porch at night. It's another day for night shot, and he just asks her, "What's a bad miracle?" They got a word for that. They got a word for that. What? And it just had me thinking, like, is there a word for a bad miracle? Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's just like, oh man, what a what a cool like again. It's the character of OJ, just processing things. Mm-hmm. Um, I also yeah. loved his, uh, his. Oh, go ahead. No, like I said, that, that once again, it's um, just watching him, just watching him um, processing information and reacting. Yeah. In a low-key manner. Yeah, for as restrained as he is outwardly, there's so much going on behind his eyes, and you see it in shots like that one. I also loved his thing with Oprah, and like yeah, that, was Oprah pinnacle, <laughs> that was his pinnacle of something as if it was Oprah. And so when he yeah. says this, it's good, but it ain't it? Ain't Oprah? It ain't it? It ain't Oprah? I was like, <laughs> oh, that's all. That's getting captured. That was too good. Um, I also loved uh, when he's talking about the animal, when he's talking about like, you know, he has the, I didn't capture the line about making a deal with the predator, mm-hmm. but it was, and he, he goes on, he's like, you don't turn your back on a bear. You know, yep. you don't wear red around a bull. Um, it, this thing is uh, they all have big. A yeah. And like this thing is big and it's strong and it's got a lot of spirit like a horse. And then he says, anything with a spirit can get broke. Anything with a spirit can get broke. Like, yeah. and, it, okay. and it's perfect that he's a horse. You know, he's been raising and training horses because that's how that goes. So I really like that one. Um, I love how they use the, the flags as a weapon. Oh, yeah. They weaponize the flags against the, <laughs> the alien. <laughs> Well, that was cool because, like, the flags were like the barrels and jaws. Oh, totally. It was a way to sort of track it, but also slow it down um, in a different manner. Like in jaws, they were trying to keep jaws from from uh, the shark from diving, and here yeah. they inadvertently had the flags. And I love how his reaction is like, "Yeah, I didn't like the flags. It must have got caught in the esophagus or something. Yeah. Like it choked on it." Um, and then they translated that to the um, those inflatable. Um, oh, that was the the wacky inflatable arm flailing man. Uh, yes. That was such a cool visual way to to do that. Yeah, and to show um, when the power would cut out because of the electromagnetic field that it emitted, it would all die down, then back yeah. up, then die down to let you know when uh, when the predator was near. Yep, I really really liked that. Um, I got one. Uh, Stephen Yoon line, and it was when he's describing. Uh, it's just the way he says this about Chris Kattan. I think of of all the because he's talking about the SNL thing. And he's like, you know, he yep. names all the actors, but then it was Chris Goddamn Kattan, <laughs> and just which <laughs> is <just> so good. <laughs> and then you know, if if you're familiar with SNL at all, you you would, uh, especially in the '90s, you'd remember Chris Kattan played. Uh, Mr. Peepers, was it? Was it uh, Mr. Peepers yeah, and Mango? 
I think those are the yes. two big characters. Yes. Um, <laughs> I absolutely had to get some Michael Wincott because that voice is just... <sighs> so when he's... Uh, he, this is one's uh, just labeled Never Wake um, because I love this line. It's the dream you never wake up from. The dream you never wake up from. Like I can listen to that guy read the telephone book, I think. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. And you had him and Keith David in the same movie. Sadly, yeah. they didn't get any scenes together, but, uh, whew, boy. See, who, He's who like, can outgravel who? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I definitely, there were a few instances of this, but I got one of Daniel Kaluuya, Kaluuya mm-hmm. just saying, nope. Nope. It's a little tough to hear because he's so he's so soft spoken throughout the movie, yeah. uh, which is why him being Hobie in Across the Spider Verse at first just kind of didn't compute because I had I had only seen clips of him from Get Out at that point and like that kind of thing, um, mm-hmm. and then his role in the MCU and he was still he wasn't overly loud in that and then all of a sudden he's playing this punk rock Spider Man and it was so different from what I was used to with him uh, that I loved it. Um, what was, uh, Oh, uh, angel um, explaining what UFOs are called now. Uh, I loved. Yeah. Well, people started paying attention. So they changed the name to UAPs. No one knows what the f- a UAP is. <laughs> and that's true. I remember the first time I saw that, like in an article or I heard somebody mention UAPs. And I was like, that was a UAP. Yeah, same here. And then I found out unidentified aerial phenomenon. No, it's a UFO, damn it. Just call it what it is. <laughs> we have MUFON, right? The what? I guess MUFON might be gone now. I don't know. MUFON. They were the MUFON was like the mutual or something UFO network. Mm-hmm. It was a it was a big uh, thing of like UFO. Uh, conspiracy people and there was a whole network and it was called MUFON. I'm like, you're not going to change that to MWAPN. Like that doesn't (laughs) work. Um, also because again, Michael Wincott, it's, uh, when she starts playing the music at the end. So they, they get their stuff all set up Mm -hmm. and then she starts up the music with the speakers pointed out. And uh, the music starts playing, and I just love his reaction to it, which is... How exquisitely stupid is that? <laughs> that was a cool with line. With just... Oh, it's such a good line. And then that big, great big smile on his face, and I was just, oh, so good. And uh, this movie managed to to do, like, creepy and terrifying. Like, the whole nighttime scene with the storm and the rain... And Jean Not Jacket like comes over the house, uh, and then all this fuel because I wasn't expecting it. Right when stuff starts falling, and then all of a sudden it just starts raining blood all yeah, over right. the house. Oh shit! Okay, uh, <laughs> I didn't anticipate having two movies in a row on this show with scenes of of literal raining of blood because I watched yeah. uh, the Evil Dead 2013 remake last week. Ah. which has the whole scene at the end where it's literally raining blood. And I'm like, then it started doing in this movie. It's like, huh, back to back weeks. And I get (laughs) blood rain. All right, cool. 
Slayer prepared me for this. So. Yes, that, that was very it was well done. The effects were very well done. I just it, it definitely caught me by surprise. Um, reminded me of Spielberg's War of the Worlds a little bit. Um, yeah, I could see that. I think yeah. too. What what made it work was the consistency of what the house looked like after that. Yeah, where when you would see like a shot of somebody, you know, Kiki Palmer standing at the window and the window sills on the outside of the house are still stained like that. And yeah. like part of the house that was under um, the covered porch is completely clean. And there's that stark line where it's covered in blood behind there. Yeah. Like they did a good job with the set design too. And the set decoration. Oh God. Yeah. Um, and uh, that was uh that was it. Those were the audio clips I got. But like, yeah, I mean, look, you put Michael Wincott in a movie, I'm going to probably capture the audio because the guy's voice is just something else. <laughs> as long as we're talking about Michael uh, Wincott, I would recommend um movie by um, oh, Julian Schnabel called Basquiat. Okay. Or Basquiat. Basket? Basquiat. Okay. B-A-S-Q-U-I-A-T. About the... um. The uh, artist, Jean-Michel Basquiat. Oh, okay. Uh, great movie. Michael Wincott is in it, and he does a terrific performance. Um, Jeffrey Wright is the main character. He's terrific in it. So if you want to see a cool Michael Wincott performance, um, I would recommend that. Definitely. I would. I will, uh, I will look for that. Uh, I yeah. love seeing him, like... Even when he shows up, you know, in uh, something like I forgot he was in that um, version of the Count of Monte Cristo from 2002. Mm. Um, Along came a spider, which is okay. Like it, but he's in that, and I completely forgot. Is he the bad uh, guy in that one? Yeah, he is. Um, but I'll look for that one, uh, Bas uh, Basquiat. Yeah. yeah, there it is, 1996. Definitely. Uh, that was Julian Schnabel's first film. Um, okay. He went on to do The Diving Bell and the Butterfly, which I haven't seen, but I, mm. I, I'm i sure it's going to be a great one. Oh, uh, Jeff, yeah. You mentioned Jeffrey Wright, but Benicio yeah. Del Toro. Uh, Jeffrey Wright's David gone, Bowie. Yeah. Jeffrey Wright's gone on to do lots of amazing things. He was in, he's a, he's a terrific Commissioner Gordon in The he's Bad. Great. But I always remember an actor from the first thing that I saw them in. So every time I see him, <laughs> I think of Basquiat. See, I think of of all movies, it's the dumbest one to think of for Jeffrey Wright, but Shaft. <laughs> because he played Peoples Martinez uh -huh. in Shaft. Uh, but man, the cast of this movie, uh, Jeffrey Wright, Michael Wincott, Benicio Del Toro, Claire Forlani, Dennis Hopper, David Bowie as Andy Warhol, yeah. Gary Oldman. Walken, mm -hmm. Christopher. It's got Christopher Walken. Yeah, it's good I'm stuff. In. Definitely. Um, yeah, this was ah, man, great choice. Like, it was another. Also, I didn't anticipate doing two Jordan Peele movies within a month of each other, but they've both been fantastic. So, you you definitely chose a good one here. Um, so thanks, dude. This was fun. I'm yeah. so so glad to have you on the show. Uh, and thank you just for having me. To chat with you. Yeah. Absolutely. Have you got anything you're working on you want to let people know about or, or anything like that? Um, speaking of paranormal 
phenomenon and ranches. I'm working on season five of Skinwalker Ranch, which oh. I believe is on the History Channel. Um, the ranch is based in Utah. Um, it's a privately owned ranch, so it has a security force that they are armed. So don't think you're going to go <laughs> in the property. Uh, <laughs> no. We'll be asked to leave. But uh, it definitely ties in, funnily enough, with the movie that we just discussed. Um, and that is produced by Prometheus Studios, where I'm currently working. Awesome. Skinwalker Ranch. Yeah, that was actually one of the uh, fan theories I remember hearing about before this movie came out, that they thought they were... they some The, the fan theory was that they were... That it was Skinwalkers in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of cool. Uh, awesome. Definitely check that out. History Channel, Skinwalker Ranch. Yes. Um, and also, uh, you've got your Instagram for, uh, is it is it PM, um, the Creature Works stuff, the art? Uh, I have three accounts. I have my, okay. my public account is Paul Botts. My private account is PM Botticelli. It's all family stuff. And then my art uh, profile is PMB Creature Works. PMB Creature Works, that's the one. If you want to find me, you can find me at any of those three accounts. Definitely check that out. Well, Paul, this has been awesome. We're going to do this again. You're welcome back anytime. We'll find another movie. We'll get you back because I don't want to go 20 years between conversations. That's too (laughs) (laughs) much. Totally. So thank you so much. Uh, Awesome. Um, If you enjoyed this, I do record the show live on Sunday nights at twitch.tv slash TV's Travis. You can come hang out um, and let us know uh, what you're thinking about stuff. You can be like Phil Rude and... um, jf dubo and ace in my chat here um the show comes out as a podcast on wednesdays anywhere you get your podcasts or uh or at youtube uh, in a video form um so you can check that out follow and subscribe on youtube it does help the channel grow um which i'm really trying to do especially this year i've got a couple of potential on location live shows i want to do as well um so we'll see how that all works out uh but um, you can go to my site, tvstravis.com, to find uh, the show, to find links to, to download it, um, as well as links to uh, I have merch and I have a uh, Patreon for this show, uh, patreon.com slash WYHS. And you can, um, you can financially uh, support the show if, if you so feel as well. Uh, but even... Um, even and especially just word of mouth, spread the word, let people, let friends of yours know about this show. If you're listening, um, because we, uh, I appreciate that. I'm a one man operation. I do everything around here, which is, uh, probably why the quality is what it is, but you're here and you're listening. And I appreciate that. Um, but Paul, thank you so much. Next week. I've got, uh, I've got somebody coming on DW Lundberg. We're going to watch. He's never seen Avengers Endgame, which not sure how. Like, I don't know how you don't accidentally see that movie, but he hasn't, and we're going to watch it. So we'll get uh, get their take on it and see what they think. So that'll be next week. But um, until then, Paul, thank you again so much for being here. This has been awesome. Oh, and we'll definitely do it again sometime. Totally. Absolutely. Uh, we'll find another movie, maybe one a little bit older. I'm sure I can dig back through the archives and find something you, you else you haven't seen before. Or maybe we'll have you back for Basquiat, and I can... I can watch that for the first time. Sweet. Excellent. Until then, 
This is Ben Wait You Haven't Seen. Remember to enjoy your movies and hey, let's be excellent to each other, all right? Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>